starting, Bubba. Welcome to Discussions with a History Buff. I'm your host, Viking Strongman. Welcome to today's episode. Warning, this podcast episode contains disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. See episode notes for details. SCP-5999. This is where I died. Item number 5999, SCP-5999, object class, contained. Special containment procedures, the Department of Analytics has been tasked with the annual procurement of seven civilians to witness procedure sevenfold. They are to be promptly delivered to the Albright Manor on October 30th. Their biological profiles are to be submitted to the medical department no less than three weeks beforehand for analysis. Each witness will be selected such that they awaken at approximately midnight on October 31st. Procedure Sevenfold typically runs its course before sunrise. All entrances to the Albright Manor have been sealed, barred, Boarded, boarded up. The sole exception is the underground shaft used to deposit each witness. It is contained within the house's cellar. The chains remain taut. The Albright Manor has been fitted throughout with surveillance devices for personnel to witness procedure sevenfold through to completion. A command post is situated off-site shall be staffed with no more than one containment specialist and two Class D personnel. They are to be given false containment procedures. The containment specialist will relay the events within the manner as they transpire and may be supplanted by a Class D if the need arises. Per Ethics Committee mandate, Personnel who survived the night are to be terminated via the introduction of sarin compounds into the outpost. On November 1st, a cleanup crew shall be dispatched to remove the remains of every witness, if indeed it is possible. If difficulties are experienced during retrieval, all bodies are to be considered the possession of the Albright Manor. They will be integrated into future events. Successfully retrieved corpses are to be incinerated in the crematorium behind the property. Noise-canceling headphones will be provided to personnel manning the incinerator. For the remainder of the year, personnel are to remain wary of any surface which contains the phrase, This is where I died. Description. The scattered remains of a Miss Jacqueline Hallcroft are affected by several disparate anomalies. The effects began at an unspecified time after her assault and murder at the hands of six unknown assailants on 6 June 2006 and persist to this day. First-hand accounts of these affected by these anomalies suggest that neutralization of the effects would occur 
should each part of Miss Hallcraft to be collected and laid to rest. Persons in the vicinity of any part of Miss Hallcroft's remains, or who are privy to the nature of the crime leading to her death, may become subject to its effects. This entails visual hallucinations. Subjects uniformly report seeing a nude, disheveled woman with deep lacerations along her extremities. These wounds are consistent with those suffered by Miss Hallcroft upon her disembemberment. Most often, the figure appears in one's peripheral, unmoving, clutching its midsection. It appears when one attempts to look more closely. Auditory hallucinations. These consist primarily of unintelligible whispers and moans. On rare occasions, subjects can discern pleading and begging. In these cases, subjects are typically called by na for by name. Six subjects have reported hearing unfamiliar song sung to the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Olfactory hallucinations, namely the scent of ammonotic fluid. Affection by Miss Hallcroft's remains persists until the subject's death. Typically, this is expedited via the development of secondary effects that manifest upon the biannual anniversary, six months of the subject's exposure. Secondary effects include, but are not limited to, the discovery of body parts and organs, fingers, eyes, teeth, and hair will be found at random near the subject. They are usually found upon opening a drawer, lifting a toilet seat, and other concealed locations, such as under the subject's pillow or in their meals. All such objects disappear when unobserved. The insertion of a filthy nude woman into all media depicting the subject often obscured or in the distance. Analysis of the clear depictions have revealed that said woman is actually the resembled amalgamation of Miss Hallcraft's remains. Beside the wounds reflecting her disembowelment, there is a single large vertical glass beginning between her breasts and trailing down towards her genitalia. An irrational fear that the chains are weakening. Sleep paralysis during such sessions, subjects have reported the presence of multiple shadowy figures which hold down and mutilate them unitarily before regaining full consciousness and controls of their bodies. Subjects claim to feel a searing pain in their gut and the removal of a vital component of their being. Update. By tracking reports of anomalous activity and civilian deaths, all 206 bones of Miss Hallcroft's body have been recovered. The remains have been interrogated by the Hallcraft family plot in Crush Glen. Upon the consolation of a funerary service, all attendants to the service suffered spontaneous disembowelment. Since this time, living subjects previously affected by Miss Hallcraft remains have been reported cessation of anomalous phenomena. However, it is proven to be sterile. Furthermore, one in six subjects with living offspring has reported the disappearance of one of their children. Despite our best efforts, none of these children have been recovered. It should be noted that this has had no effect on Miss Hallcroft's presence within the Albright Manor. Video Log Location Crash Glen, Kansas Population 3,125 Note Five members of Mobile Task Force Epsilon 5 Pentacle 
were deployed into the town of Crush Glen following its submission subsumption by a thick fog and the seeming disappearance of all its inhabitants. The following is a record of the phenomena occurring within the town as recorded by Joy Bates. E5 Echo Begin Log Camera Activates E5 Echo is seated in the back seat of the Task Force Humvee. Pentacle members perform a perfunctionary mic check as they pull up to the perimeter of the town. After two minutes of idle chatter, it is decided that they should proceed via vehicle. The chains in the road break easily beneath the Humvee's wheels. E5 Echo watches out the window as the surrounding forest gives way to a thick blanket of mist. Visibility drastically reduces and E5 Bravo shows the vehicle slows the vehicle to a crawl. After creeping for several meters through the fog, it is decided that exploration should occur on foot. E5 Bravo pulls to the side of the road. All passengers disembark. E5 Bravo kills the engine and follows suit. Very little can be discerned as E5 Echo looks around. A black sedan lay just north of their position. It is laying on its side, perpendicular to the road, as the roof has been torn free. To the right sits an ivy-coated brick building beside a rusted chain-link fence. Nothing can be seen beyond the sidewalk across the street from their position. The unit draws their firearms and form a defensive position beside the Humvee, while E5 Charlie employs imaging hardware. E5 Bravo teases E5 Delta after the latter complains the silence with the one bustling town of their birth. E5 Alpha admonishes the siblings and calls for professionalism. The Pair Aqualist Both thermal imaging hardware and a modified SPAD visual asset incapable of penetrating the fog beyond what can already be seen with the naked eye. E5 Alpha announces the decision to continue without visual aid due to the efficiency of natural sight and the needless burden of excess hardware. E5 Echo is called upon to investigate the wrecked vehicle. Her hand crosses the camera feed as she whispers a prayer. She sets off. Her, the car can be heard still running as she approaches. Beneath the sound of the engine, an indiscernible country song is heard playing on the radio. Besides missing its roof, there is extensive damage to the driver's rear side rear, which is missing its door. There is a large amount of blood on both the dashboard and the now deflated passenger side airbag. As she closes in, the music becomes clearer. It's a Johnny Cash tune. The singing and guitar cease, and there is a bit of static, and the musician quotes Bible verses before the radio falls silent. Close inspection reveals that all seatbelts beside the tattered front passengers remain, strapped in and locked, including the four-point harness of the child's seat, car seat situated behind the driver's chair. E5 Echo turns to relay her findings to the rest of the team. E5 Charlie is absent. E5 Echo makes an explanation remar remarking his disappearance causing alarm amongst the others. It is not noted by E5 Echo, but one of the lower left of the feed, there can be seen a quasi-humanoid figure crouching beneath the Humvee. 
It skitters swiftly and silently backward out of sight on five forelimbs. E5 Alpha calls for order. He re rallies the team and takes point as the group travel down the street and into the town. The four move in step with E5 Echo guarding the rear down the side of the road. The team is guided by E5 Delta to cut through an alleyway. A low bellowing sound trumpets from on high. The team emerges on the next street and passes the several buildings. There's a barbershop whose window is shattered. It is dark inside save for the flickering of a single light near the back of the parlor that reveals signs of struggle. Next to this, a destroyed building smokes the last embers of a raging fire. E5 Delta and E5 Bravo reminisce over the loss of this structure, which was purportedly their favorite pizzeria growing up. E5 Echo speaks over their conversation, questioning aloud the lack of bodies. E5 Bravo shoots back with a sarcastic response before the trio is silenced by Alpha, who hears something. A quiet bleeding can be heard somewhere in the distance. As the group progresses, a squat figure can be seen enshrouded in the mist across the street. E5 Alpha advances with his weapon at the ready. They come upon a lamb laying in the grass in front of a two-story home. The number five is painted on the, its fleece in blue paint. The animal bleats and cries and is clearly distressed by their presence. It shakily stands as if to flee, but quickly collapses. Dried blood spots on the ground around the area it lays in. E5 Delta approaches the animal to tend to it and is mocked with feigned annoyance by her brother. She discovers that the lamb has, has had something small and metallic lodged into each of its hind hooves, causing it a great deal of pain and prohibiting escape. E5 Echo pans about their surroundings with her rifle at the ready while E5 Delta kneels next to the creature, petting it and comforting it. The fog holds not beyond an abandoned pickup truck. She asks if it might be best to euthanize the lamb, as this in the camera's peripheral it can be seen to be convulsing violently from the neck up. E5 Delta is looking at her squad leader as this occurs and is thus not immediately aware of the sudden threat to her person. E5 Echo turns with a start at, as E5 Bravo shouts to his sister, who sees the beast's behavior and recoils. She falls, shooting backwards across the lawn. E5 Alpha has his weapon trained on the animal and fires. E5 Echo raises her weapon but does not have a clear shot over the retreating E5 Delta. Despite suffering extensive damage to its midsection and spilling its guts over the soft earth, the animal remains upright and continues to convulse and bleed and scream. The screams quickly take on a human sound which then devours the vocalizations made by bodies in Albright Manor's crematorium. E5 Bravo reaches down to help his twin to her feet. She screams. E5 Bravo catches his sister as she falls back. Her feet locked in, seem locked in position. E5 Echo lowers her weapon and rushes to E5 Delta's side. Looking down, a pair of thick metal implements have risen through the soil, piercing both of E5 Delta's feet. Each 
of the foreign objects has a thick round head that would not allow them to pull her up off of them. E5 hurriedly explains that she gripped this as she grips around the head of one of the objects and attempts to pry it upwards out of her teammate. E5 Alpha continues to deliver concentrated fire into the entity as its screams grow in volume. Mirrored cries can be heard in the distance from multiple sources. E5 Bravo, cradling his sister, cries out an explicitive. He draws his sidearm with a free hand and flails it about shakily as unseen fo at unseen foes. E5 Alpha reloads his weapon. E5 Echo looks up from her task. The entity is now an unrecognizable bloodied husk. It rears up, leathery wings unfurl from behind the creature. It beats its wings and begins to rise. As it does so, it can be seen that its hind legs are dug into the earth. E5 Echo shouts out reassuringly as she doubles her efforts to free her teammate. The metallic implements pull downward, severing the tip of E5's Echo's right index finger. The ground gives way as E5 Delta is pulled ankle-deep into the earth. E5 Bravo drops his weapon and seizes his sister under the arms as she is dragged knee-deep into the ground. E5 Echo tries to assist in pulling her free. As they struggle, the entity can be seen bleeding its wings furiously. It has raised itself another half meter above the ground. It's straining and pulling grossly elongated hind legs which remain embedded in the soil. E5 Delta is pulled waist deep. Bleeding can be heard all around the team. E5 Alpha orders the pair to abandon E5 Delta and requests covering fire. Short, concentrated bursts are fired by the squad leader into multiple areas at, sh at shadowy figures in the fog. E5 Delta cries and screams for help as she is pulled up to her chest, causing the pair to lose their grip around her torso. E5 Echo draws her sidearm, aims it at E5 Delta, and shouts her intention to decimation and spare the agent. E5 Bravo, who is now locked hand in hand with his sister, pulling with all his might, threatens E5 Echo with her life if she pulls the trigger. Several lambs become visible from within the fog. Each slowly limps toward the group. E5 Alpha again orders his subordinates retreat as he defends them against the approaching threat. E5 Delta is pulled steadily deeper. Her head and arms remain just above the ground. E5 Echo requests permission to fire from E5 Alpha. E5 Bravo roars in defiance. There is a soft rumble as E5 Delta is rapidly dragged underground. Losing his grip, E5 Bravo is pulled forward and falls face first. As he screams and begins to dig at the ground, E5 Echo turns to see the entity rise higher and higher off the ground, pulling its hide legs out of the earth. Its hooves, much like the beast hind legs, are seen to be elongated. They glisten with a metallic sheen. As it rises, human feet can be seen, seen being brought up, speared to the hooves. The nude form of E5 Delta is slowly unearthed. Her body is limp. E5 Bravo shouts a string of obscenities, retrieves his rifle, and opens fire. The beast shudders as it takes more damage. It flies unsteadily, carrying E5 Delta's body up and over the team. Its upper body becomes enshrouded in the mist. All that can be seen is E5 Delta's corpse swaying as the beast carries it. It bleats, rocking hooves backwards more rapidly, bringing them forward. 
They slam E5 Delta's body into a nearby telephone pole where she is pinned by the feet. What remains of the entity in the lands now surrounding the team dissipate into the fog as trumpets begin blow again. E5 Alpha radios command to deliver a stillip and is given orders to continue their descent into the town. E5 Echo is preoccupied with bandaging her finger. Against protests from E5 Alpha, E5 Bravo attempts to ascend the telephone pole to dislodge his sister's corpse. He fails in scaling the structure and after two more attempts, he heeds E5 Alpha's orders. The trio departs. They carefully trek through the neighborhood for the next 20 minutes, guided by E5 Bravo's direction. The final, final chaotic moments of the town become more apparent as they walk onwards. Multiple vehicular accidents dot the roads and lawns of the suburbs. Home and auto alarms ring out in the distance. Fog mixes with smoke from structural fires. Weeping is heard intermittently. No source is found. As is the as it is as is the remaining members of the Pentacle pass a wrought iron fence. It is as the remaining member, members of Pentacle pass a wrought iron fence that E five Alpha reports the stench of decay. E five Bravo expresses concern, though it cannot be seen from their position on the sidewalk beside the fence. E5 Bravo explains they are passing the town's elementary school. E5 Alpha swears. A human outline becomes visible ahead of the team against the fence under the shade of a tree. It becomes clear as they approach that there are several figures straddled to the fence under the shade of a weeping willow, whose branches extend over the fence from the school grounds. Each figure seemed to be naked and unmoving. The trio carefully keep their distance leaving the sidewalk and circling into the street around the figures. There are five in total. Their bodies can be seen to be tied by the wrists to the fence and held upright. Each is in various states of decay, and their backsides are torn and bloodied, with large gashes cutting across each corpse. Their cause of death is speculated by E5 Echo to be from flagellation. The corpse in the center noted to be fresher than those on either side of it, and the wounds on its back possess a different appearance than the others, inciting inquiry by the team. E5 Bravo walks toward it. He pulls out his canteen, opens it, and pours water over the body. Enough blood is washed away to reveal what remains of a tattoo on the body's upper back. It is the insignia of E5 Pentacle identified the corpse as the missing E5 Charlie. The lacerations can be seen to have previous, precisely struck in order to spell out a single phrase. This is where I died. E5 Alpha forbids further action with the corpse. E5 Echo watches as E5 Bravo's back is away from the bodies. As he turns to join his teammates, a thick thorned vine descends from the bough of the willow tree. It is quickly It quickly ensnares E5 Bravo around his cranium, drawing blood. E5 Bravo drops his canteen and attempts to wrestle himself free, but he is pulled sharply upward and out of sight. Splintering bones can be heard over his screams. Both sounds are short-lived before the trumpets bellow again. Blood and viscera spill from the treetop. 
E5 Alpha grabs E5 Echo by the shoulder and the pair retreat. The agents run down the street in the direction they came from. Bleeding and screaming can be heard in response to this, though the agents encounter no obstacles. Without the guidance of the twins and due to environmental stressors, the agents make a wrong turn after several minutes. They carry alongside street, which t leads towards the town center against their knowledge. At the edge of their perception on all sides, faces can be seen briefly in the fog. They coalesce but for a moment before losing all cohesion. Appearing elsewhere, distant weeping can be again heard. Sobbing becomes laughter. The faces in the mist leer unseen by the agents as they run. Cruel and mocking laughter grows in intensity as the, air, the pair progress. Something large stirs underneath, beginning to free from its shackles. E5 Alpha howls with rage, brandishes his sidearm, and fires at nothing. E5 Echo pauses. She begs her squad leader to compose himself and soldier on. He's behaving erratically and refuses to listen to reason. She threatens to leave him behind, yet he does not comply. She runs off on her own. E5 Alpha shouts and gunshots ring out for the next few minutes over the bleeding and the laughing and the weeping. The trumpets bellow again. All is silent. E5 Echo continues cutting through the cul-de-sac and several properties before tripping over something embedded in the ground. She screams. Looking down, it can be seen that she's injured her leg and is bleeding. After a moment, she comes to a stand. Panning about, it becomes clear she has stumbled into a cemetery. She curses thrice under her breath, immediately apologizes, and says a quick prayer. She hobbles through the cemetery, occasionally using headstones for support. Before her, the outline of a church becomes visible. She circles the building, coming around to the front. The stairs are shakingly navigated, and she pushes open the front door, collapsing once within. There exists no fog within the structure. The entirety of its interior is able to be envisioned. E5 Echo looks about the church. Everything is in perfect order, in stark contrast to the chaos through the town proper. In taking in her surroundings, E5 Echo becomes fixated on the large cross behind the pulpit. The figure nailed to it is moving. She stands and closes its distance. It is E5 Alpha. His fatigues and equipment are absent. A tunic is wrapped around his midsection. He coughs as E5 Echo approaches. Blood and nails are expelled from his mouth as he does so. As E5 Echo reaches out towards her squad leader, his eyes open. There's a blinding light coming from them. There is a noise of thunder. The very foundation of the building shakes with this sound. And E5 Echo stumbles backwards. She runs for the door as E5 Alpha bleats behind her. Now outside, E5 looks about in a panic. She descends the stairs, rushing off to get off the church's property. Run, rumbling can be heard behind her. Turning, she can see that the nearest graves have collapsed. Hands and fingers grip the edges of the closest to her. E5 Echo continues as fast as her injury will allow. She nears the street in front of, her, of the house of worship and falls to her knees. She tries to stand and finds she is unable. Heavy footsteps become audible. The earth quakes with each step. She cries and begs forgiveness. She begins to pray. Her prayers are interrupted and she lets out a wet, gurgling sound. She looks down, revealing a long, bladed instrument embedded in her side. 
Her camera feed begins to rise up, up, up. The ground is lost beneath the shroud of fog. There exists no point of reference within the fog to discern how high the agent is raised before she is turned about to face and behold a massive human figure. It brings her up to meet its gaze. Through its eyes are enshrouded in shadow. Its bearded face is gaunt. The agent struggles as the entity brings her closer to its face. The level of proximity reveals that the ent entirety of its countenance is comprised of countless human bodies squirming up against one another. The false beast opens its maw. From the depths of being, a, ro a rolling thunder can be heard. The trumpets bellow again. And log. Exorcism attempt number four. Date, fourteenth April two thousand four. Present, Doctor Peter McNeil, Department of Demonology, Psychologically Psycholo Psychology Division, Agent Savannah Grace, Mobile Task Force, MU thirteen Ghostbusters, Purification Specialist. Background. During the course of Operation Four Monarchs, the details of which are classified level four, Agent Grace was exposed to a demonic entity and suffered possession. It has since been determined this accident was due to a failure of the chains to hold what lies beneath. Agent was subsequently taken to the Department of Demonology for exorcism, but initial attempts have failed at expulsion. Dr. Peter McNeil a specialist in exorcism via demonic psychology, was then authorized to meet with the possessed alone to attempt exorcism via coercion or intimidation. Recording commences. Hello, Dr. McNeil. Hello, Agent Grace. You've been fairly quiet since our la the last attempt. I know you can still hear me. Eyes up. Jim Connor. Marcus, Jane, Jim, Connor, Marcus, Jane, Jim, Connor, Marcus, Jane, Jim, Connor, Marcus, Jane. You are to surrender and vacate this vessel. Jim, Connor, Marcus, Jane, Jim, Connor, Marcus, Jane, Jim, Connor, Marcus, Jane, Jim, Connor, Matthew, J, fuck, fuck. You repeat those names in the feet of resistance, but you know that it was your own actions that led to their deaths. It was your fault. Must give recompense. You must cease your struggle. Give in. Connor Marcus Jane Jim. Connor Marcus Jane Jim. Connor Marcus Jane Jim. You are a putrid, violent creature. You eke out your, your existence on the suffering of those you deem lesser. Yet look at yourself now. Connor Mark Jane. No. Oh God, please no. You are locked deep in this facility. You know you cannot escape. You know that you will never achieve your goals, your desires, your hopes. You will die here, alone and rotting. Die in the dark, live in the light. Die in the dark, live in the light. Die, live in the dark, die in the light. Live in the dark, die in the light. You are at my mercy. You will experience hell for all the time I should so choose. You will give in, you will let go. Dark light, dark light, dark light. Dark light, dark light dark you are still resisting you will be punished for that you will rather flee to what I refine you Nema Reve save your whore breath you will not be aided you will not be believed you will be 
reviled. Spare yourself the pain. Unintelligible, unintelligible wordings. Is that really the Lord's Prayer backwards? Are you truly so useless, so vile, so pathetic, and so utterly weak that you would resort to such a party trick as your final defiance? You will fail. Live more su reviled tube nopotent otni ton su deo. If you are such a lover of the Lord, your nature and actions will so disgrace and perhaps you know this. Deuteronomy 4 4. But all of you who held fast to the finish it for me, dear. Amen. What you're doing won't help you, ignorant fool, but all you know who held fast to the you will finish the verse, but all you who have fasted, Nemer Reve, you are slipping, but all you hold fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. Good girl, see, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. End recording. The Fought Incident Timeline the following is a recorded history of all anomalous phenomena relating to progeny, priest, king, since its release. Included are research team's findings, events prior to foundation involvement as gleaned through interviews, notable breakthroughs, and claims made by the game's fan community as tracked through Unicet, and, and phenomena observed by playtesters in a controlled foundation environment. For ease of reference, subjects shall be color-coded according to the empathic role ascribed to them by the anomaly. 29th November 1988 Axel Romenter, age 9, of Loyton, California, experiences the feeling of numbness in his hands throughout the school day. He is permitted to rest in the nurse's office for an hour and loses all sensation below the wrist by noon. Axel is checked out of school at 12.33 by his mother. While en route to the hospital, Axel's condition improved. The pair travels home with Axel's mother attributing the condition to the previous night's extend, extended play session. Todd Wilson, age 27 of Dallas, Texas, returns his copy of Progeny Priest King to the passages where he purchased it. Mr. Wilson asserted that once entering the main location labyrinth, all audio cuts off with the silence being punctuated by prolonged a prolonged low rumble, a replacement copy was provided. D. Hammond, age 12, of Durnham, New Hampshire, is spotted standing by the side of the road in front of her home in the pouring rain, fixated on the full moon. Her neighbor ushers her back towards her house and alerts her parents. 30th November, 1988. Ken Klein, age 18, of Colorado Springs, Colorado, experiences an uncharacteristic, severe depressive episode and is only assaged by the embrace of his father. Triplets Marcus, Michael, and Matthew Cook, age 15, reported absent from school. They have locked themselves in their bedroom where they have scrawled a top-down representation of a, map, of a map to the game's main location, Labyrinth, on the walls. The phrase... This is where I died is carved in the corner of the room. 1st December, 1988. Mary Blelvins, age 33, of Bristol, Pennsylvania, destroys her son's copy of Progeny Priest King owing to the latter's single-minded pre preoccupation with playing it, to the point of soiling himself during play. 
around around three o'clock she enters the basement to fetch laundry and falls down the stairs she suffers a fatal crevicle fracture upon landing axel rometer is unable to get out of bed on account of full body numbness he's rushed to the emergency room leo rasman age three of idabel oklahoma seizes and becomes comatose while watching his elder sibling play prodigy priest king he is hospitalized alt brinkin's ppk news group is established on usenet for pooling knowledge about the game several users express frustration with being unable to find the mirror the jewel or the sword user trey uploads several photographs of their computer screens showcasing a glitch of the ghoul enemy sprite entity a this glitch makes the enemy appear much shorter compared to the other spirits and gives it a black-ended skin with flecks of red. Trey claims that it can neither be killed nor interacted with, but may block access to crucial areas of the game, necessi necessitating a reset. Six other users claim to have experienced the same glitch. 2nd December 1988 Gina Wilson arrives at her son Todd's home after he misses two days of work at the family shop. She's unable to open his bedroom door and hears a low, blaring, monotone chip tune on the other side. Police arrive by 2.33 and force their way through the barricaded door. They find the mattress propped up against the window and all lights shattered. The only remaining source of light is from the monitor displaying a game over screen. It does not respond to attempts to turn it off and must be unplugged. Todd is not found. User Juan Luke Picard uploads four images, image files to the PPK news group revealing a hidden tunnel in the southeastern corner of Labyrinth. The path therein leads to a small, colorful room resembling a child's bedroom, which is anachronistic to the game's fantasy setting. In one image, Entity A stands in the corner facing a wall. The jewel item representing the progeny can be found on the nightstand. 3rd December 1988. Several users in the PPK news group that have attained the jewel report the presence of a new entity, Entity B, encountered in the crypt portion of the game, which is not re referenced in the game manual. The dark-robed humanoid flees from the player upon approach. Players find that Entity B can be attacked if cornered, and if killed will collapse into a quivering heap on the ground. It regenerates after three seconds, which players exploit for easily ex easy experience points. D. Hammond is found by her mother, sitting in the fetal position of the corner of her bedroom, crying and shaking. Twins Sindel and Mandy Shields are discovered within their parents' basement. They are found reciting the song Twinkle Twinkle Little Star incessantly. The lyrics are wrong. Ray Gonzalez, age 24, of Brunsnick, New Jersey, is found by the police in his home. He has been bludgeoned to death. His eyes, hands, and genitals were violently removed pre-mortem, and a quarter-meter rod is found inserted into his anal cavity. Bryce Stephson, age 6, is rescued from the basement. 4th December 1988 User Triceratops begins a sub-thread to the PPK news group to discuss experience with the game, stating that the ghost enemies are vocalizing her name as opposed to default sound bites. Most users respond to, with skepticism, 
with one exception, Triple H, who claims to experience the same issue. The parents of Marcus, Michael, and Matthew Cook invite Father Emmett Clark to their home for counsel regarding their son's erratic behavior. When the priest enters their bedroom alongside the boy's father, Stephen Cook, data expunged, fulfilling Alpha, Theta, and Omega. Miss Cook's 911 call is intercepted and mobile task force Triffering Black arrives 10 minutes later. They are able to discreetly shift the mass into a mobile into a mobile containment vehicle for study at Site 999. It, Site 99. It is spontaneously combusted once placed on the examination table. Father Clark, Mr. Cook, and Mr. Cook survive several minutes afterward before the former expires due to cranial trauma. Mr. Cook then grips the edge of the table and pulls, causing the mask to fall on the ground. It lands in such a way to sever his crevial vertebrae, killing him instantly. A copy of Prodigy Priest King is extracted from the abdomen of either Michael or Matthew Cook. Ken Klein's speech is rendered near incompressible outside simple phrases as his motor functions have become impaired. A large tumor is discovered growing behind his parental lobe. 5th December 1988 Jeb Swiftwater, age 15, of New York, relates to his psychiatrist recurring nightmare and accompanying sleep paralysis has been experiencing over the previous few nights wherein he experiences a house fire. User, I can't even say that, claims to the claims that he had to restart his game all, as all text and dialogue had been replaced with the phrase this is where I died, inhibiting their ability to solve a puzzle in Cavern. User Trey is the first player to have reached Hedge Maze. They claim that the music on this stage is bugged as it periodically interrupted by a loud snapping noise. Subject D999 retrieves the jewel item. The screen goes blank. Subject convulses and expires. Upon discretion, Malformed organs, heart, left kidney, right lung are discovered that are not a genetic match to the subject. 6 December 1988. Progress updates from the PPK news group drop off considerably due to the product recall, but a few members retain their copies of the game. User Triceratop is the second player to reach the head mage and uploads several images of an indiscernible object and entity C. Up in the night sky, user Trey obtains the sword, representing the king. They progress to the final area of the game, but do not communicate what this new area is. The remains of D. Hammond are discovered by Dr. Jarrett. The body is preserved under a layer of hot ash. A Siskri triangle is charred onto his lino into the linoleum. Cries for help are heard coming from a test chamber. A doll is found within. It cries when disposed of. An audible snap is heard throughout Site 33. Researcher Emily, who has overseen the previous night's playtesting, is found to have hanged herself in her quarters. 7th December 1988. Operatives in Kansas arrive at the home of Sarah Whitewalker, using that handle Triceratop to retrieve the second-to-last copy of Prodigy Priest King in civilian possession. Agent Meyer suffers third-degree burns on his hand in trying to separate her from the monitor. White Taker is terminated at the discretion of the team lead. Using information 
gleaned from the PPK News Group, subject D072 reaches hedge maze. Researchers can collaborate claims of audio abnormalities in the presence of Entity C above the maze. This humanoid sprite can be seen to be hanged by the neck with a rope extending up into the sky beyond what can be viewed by the player. D072 refuses to play any further when prompted to answer why he, we why he weeps and begs for forgiveness. Subject D856 acquires the mirror in his playthrough. Data expunged. Mobile Task Force See No Evil arrives on site 30 minutes later to restore order and isolate creature. the creature. Sector 3 is subsequently evacuated and scuttled. No disciplinary action is taken against the researchers and guards involved due to their loss of agency. Several are treated for fractures in the metacarpal bones. Samples of the creature's seminal fluids are sent to Biosite 87 for study. The Ethics Committee issues a mandate prohibiting the use of test subjects with a history of sexual offense. Three distinct character profiles are formulated for affected persons, each correlating with a different range of anomalous effects. Twins Sindel and Mandy Shields are found dead. Broken chain links are scattered about the vicinity of their bodies. Subject D009 acquires the sword. He's now able to progress to the final level of the game titled with a nonsensical assortment of characters and symbols. Sound cancelling headgear is required for the research staff. 8th December 1988. Subjects D072, D147, and D009 are found to be absent from their respectable cells. Sloppy trails of blood and viscera lead across the grounds in the direction of the test chambers terminating at the point where the floor meets the wall. Shattered glass, a class ring, and a shiv, respectively, are discovered in the remains. Axel Rotomer is pronounced dead by Foundation clinicians following a grand mile seizure. Despite the lack of brain activity, his body twitches over the next half hour. It then stands, approaches the attendant doctor, and embraces him. User Trey makes a post detailing what they believe to be the dungeon holding the game's singular boss. Several screenshots are included depicting a darkened winding staircase with a stone corridor. User Triceratops Sarah White take a response to this saying, This is where I died. Klein, Ken Klein expires in Site-42's medical bay. Necropsy reveals the brain tumor to be a developing brain. User Trey posts an update on the progress. They claim to have traveled the spiral staircase for three hours and spotting an irregularity on the inward facing wall found are able to clip their avatar partially through the stone. A screenshot of their findings, data expunged. All testing is subsequently aborted. Effects are increased to find and identify this user before they can confront the anomaly. The chains have become too few in number to hold it. 9th December 1988 Despite never having any form of contact with the anomaly, D126 begins to regurgitate shards of reflective glass and dies of blood loss. Leo Rosman shows the first sign of activity since he fell unconscious. He cries out, too hot, too hot, as his body temperature rises above 38 degrees Celsius. He quickly expires. The Game Over soundbite plays over the PA systems of 70 
individual secure foundation locations as well as countless civilian institutions, recreation centers, and shopping districts nationwide. Several dozen ropes manifest over the primary, primary test site. Site Director Swanson, Task Force Commander Sheridan, and Senior Researcher Otega are hanged to tell dead upon attempting escape. The remaining senior staff is similarly killed as the ropes infiltrate throughout the various means. Clerical and custodial staff are not targeted. User Trey makes his final post to the PPK news group, consisting solely of the phrase, I found where he died. Testing log. Procedure. In initial intake examination to determine the process of anomalous phenomena. The doll is seated on a chair within the chest chamber. D002 introduced to the environment and the instructor to remain still. Description. Temperature within the chamber drops by 2 degrees Celsius. The doll plays a rendition of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, albeit compromised of different lyrics. Twin kill, twin kill, little stars, robbed of wonder, torn and scarred. Rest above the world so high, two souls flit about the night. Twin kill, twin kill, little stars, justice is not very far. Despite the lack of any mechanical components, the object's eyes track D002 as he backs away from it and into a corner. Subject suffered from heart palpitations on account of stress induced by the interaction. Intending medical personnel report a mild unease from viewing him, the reasoning for which was found to be inferable. Standard test to determine potential sapience. The doll is seated on a chair within cham the chamber. D002 is again introduced. He is instructed to attempt a dialogue with the item. After D002 greets the doll, it responds in kind, calling D002 by his birth name. D002 immediately requests recess. The item giggles until D002 is extracted from the chamber. Subject's vitals found to be normal. His eyes were noted to be particularly glassy and dry. Subject reported that he had trouble blinking. Intent to determine the identity of the item and discern how long until the chains fail to hold. D002 reintroduced into the chamber, equipped with a questionnaire. Item identifies itself as Cindy. Item refuses to elaborate on its intent or purpose. Instead, the item recounts the crime which led to D002's incar incarceration. Faint screaming begins to emerge from within the chamber with no identifiable source, steadily growing in volume as the doll elaborates. The screaming suddenly stops. It then requests that D002 plays with it. D002 does not acquiesce. The doll then questions him regarding Jacqueline Hallcroft. He, he becomes adamant that he be released from the chamber. Personnel report an Implacable feeling of terror upon envisioning D002. A medical examination discovers a 2mm cyst on the subject's back. The doctor performing the examination is apprehensive towards lacerating it and is granted personal leave. Purpose of this test is to coerce more information from the item, the entity inhabiting it. A small table, 
two chairs, a toy tea set, and dollies are prepared for the interaction. D002 sits across from the doll. He first pours her a cup of tea, then itself. As instructed, D002 begins the session by exchanging pleasantries. The pair speak of the weather and their favorite teas. Several minutes into the conversation, D002 asks her how she came to be in her present situation. She merely states that she exists to fulfill a singular purpose and stares pointedly at D002. Then she begins to an inane tangent regarding the events of unfolding in Crash Glen. Test aborted. Subject reported having trouble moving its digits. Volunteer personnel inspected his hands and found them both to have their muscular locked muscular, locked up and fixed in an open-handed grasping position. Furthermore, it became increasingly belligerent upon trying and failing to scratch at the cyst on its back, which had swollen considerably. The decision was made to lacerate it. Alongside a large volume of pus, the subject was found to have a thin, threaded mudgement hanging from the interior of the cyst. Twenty millimeters were extracted before the filament caught and retracted back into D002's back, causing him to scream uncontrollably for his mother. The item is introduced to the test chamber with instructions to bargain with Cindy for information. It is instructed to promise her foundation support in fulfilling her mission in exchange for sharing knowledge on precisely what it entails. The item is ushered into the chamber having lost the use of its legs. Once the door is sealed, the item, with great trouble, recites the script prepared by the personnel detailing the Foundation's intent and aid. Cindy blushes. She laughs at the item and stands from her seat. She approaches the item, staring it in the eyes and tells it that it already has everything she wants. She then requests the rating security personnel to open the door for her. They comply. Dr. Carter offers to give her a ride home citing the worry her parents must be feeling and apologize profusely. Cindy is taken home to the Albright Manor. Dis recovered Evidence Date January 1st, 2001 Location Yogi Bear's Jellystone Park, Quarryville, Pennsylvania Discoveries One camper furnished for a family of forests situated at the campsite there is no accompanying vehicle, a malnourished border, border collie laying beside the camper. Became violent upon collection. A stick. One end skewers two marshmallows. The other is smolding in the fire pit. A rosary belonging to Savannah Grace. A single chain rusted and near useless. Three bloodied fingernails discovered by a small stone embedded in the soil. Claw marks are evident in the dirt for half a meter from the direction of the camper. The remnants of several charred pieces of paper within the fire pit. Burnt articles of clothing belonging to an adult male found hidden beneath the camper. Tire treads belonging to an unidentified pickup truck or SUV leading away from the area. Date. For... December 14, 1988. Location. Abdi Residence, Calvert, Texas. Discoveries. 
a tattered woman's nightgown caught in the brushes beneath a second-story bathroom window. Bare footprints, whose placement indicates a slow and steady gait, led through the mud towards the street. Parallel pairs of, pairs of slashes, rips, and tears in several pieces of furniture throughout the living room, which is a state uh, in a state of disarray. An identical pair of ma- marks are scratched on the wall leading from the bottom of the to the top of the staircase. A flashlight triggered in the on position. The lens is cracked and it has run out of batteries. Three sleeping bags. The first is soiled with urine. The second is torn asunder, with no remaining biological evidence besides solitary strand of hair. The third is zipped closed around a mound, originally thought to be one of the missing persons. Approximately five pounds of soil. Analysis is unable is able to determine it had been sourced from Crush Glen, a tire iron located at the bottom of the stairs adjacent to the living room in a pool of bile, the door to the master bedroom laying in the hallway. The hinges are warped and destroyed. The restroom within the master bedroom is locked from the inside. A single slip of paper is found to have been inserted beneath the door. It was meant to be read. Single child's toothbrush, its handle bloodied. Blood, viscera, and what is later determined to be irregular fluid are found in the sink across from the open window. Date, November 11th, 2019. Location, cabin of renowned horror writer Earl Studebake in, Netherla- in Netherlands. Discoveries, single pair of boot prints in the snow leading from the cabin and into the wilderness. The trail ends at a nearby country road. Victim's typewriter, the L key, is missing. A several hundred page manuscript on top of the workstation, incinerated by investigators. A loaded handgun laying on the floor beside the victim's chair. A single round has been discharged. The final chapter, Spirals. Minute traces of blood, bone fragments, and cerebral matter in the vicinity of the workstation. A bundle of towels soaked in blood containing larger bone fragments. Discovered among cleaning supplies hidden beneath the bathroom sink. Victim's trademark Homburg hat was found to have been stolen. October 31st, 2018. Location, the home of Hugh Davis, broadcasting location of horror podcast, Witching Hour. Manchester, England. Discoveries. Spotches of a warm, vicious fluid around a shattered basement window. Cloud of smoke. The lingering scent of burning hair and scorched flesh. A cell phone belonging to the guest blogger. Contained a trigger. Several ounces of ash concentrated within countless handprints scattered about the floor of the basement studio. Orientation suggests a single point of origin. A newspaper article regarding the disappearance of identical twins, Sindel and Mandy. One digital camera that contained footage recorded immediately after the live stream was corrupted. Contents viewed without sound by a sole operator, since euthanized. A wired lapel mic, its entire length covered in saliva. A dissated husk of inverted human epidermis. The oral cavity is grossly expanded. Date. 
expunged. Location, Judith Montego Memorial Library, Ebb Brook, Wales. Discoveries. Shattered glass scattered about the south-facing bay window. Most fragments were stained with blood. Something small and defenseless originated from Jacqueline Hallcroft. Eleven dead birds, various species. Cause of death determined to be from internal bleeding and bruising of the brain from a collision with, a stru with the structure. Heavy infestation by mucus, Musca domestica, numbering in the hundreds of thousands. Library cards belonging to the six victims, indicated book club membership. Five books th found throughout the reading area, rotten beyond identification, and each found to contain genetic material from the respective reader. Low, droning noise emulating throughout the area, him in an unknown language. A trail of words in a cursive script, written in an estimated five liters of human blood. It, be it begins from the shattered bay window and follows a route towards the book depository across the street. One operative is lost. Date, August 11th, 1914. Location, Allied Trenches near Sochens, France. Discoveries, a collapsible spade found at the bottom of a deep 11-meter shaft entrenched alongside the soldier's held position. Three dog tags, two are warped, and identifying information has been scratched out. A single human eye found at the in the possession of a rat. A severely damaged copy of Progeny Priest King. Spent munitions and empty rifles. A sweep of the area reveals that most of the rounds were fired into friendly territory. An open unopened envelope containing an illegible letter. Found in the mud beneath the duck boards. They will not be missed. One meter barb of barbed wire caked in viscera. The uniform of one of the missing soldiers is tangled within. Eleven teeth belonging to the only identified soldier, found at the bottom of the pit, coated in soil. A tunnel, large enough for a grown man, extending from the bottom of the pit and continuing for some several hundred meters, ends up meeting a trench in enemy-occupied territory. Several more teeth found at irregular intervals within the tunnel. Date, December 31st, 2011. Location, Takai Kazoo Residence. Discoveries, black, clouded water in all basins. Samples of the food revealed to the particulate to be powdered bone mineral. Extensive water damage in rooms beneath and adjacent to the lavatory. Copious amounts of one millimeter long human hair, black. The sound it makes when we burn each witness in the crematorium. Eleven mirrors. Ten are in various rooms with the domicile shattered. The last, a compact pocket mirror, is found untouched. All clothing and personal effects belonging to six of the seven missing participants, neatly folded and arranged. One hundred extinguished candles gathering in the center of the living quarters. 100 extinguished candles gathering in the extinguished candles gathered in the center of the living quarters 100 extinguished candles gathered in the center of the quarters 100 extinguished candles gathered in the center of the quarters
extinguished candles, 100, gathered in the center of the quarters. Extinguished candles, gathered in the center of the living quarters. Once again, thank you for coming to our podcast. I have been your host, Viking Strongman. And please have a great rest of your day wherever you are. Or a great rest of your night. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your different listening platforms, whatever you prefer to use. You can also, if you like the show, you can also send donations via Venmo or through the Anchor system. And if you like our show, don't forget to share it with your friends who might also like it. And also, don't forget that we have a Facebook page, Discussions with a History Buff, as well as a Reddit page, also Discussions with a History Buff, with I think only one F, because you can only have yay many characters in, in the title. But this has been Discussions with a History Buff, and I'm your host, Viking Strongman. Goodbye.